Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caringba. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. You may take a seat. Kids, if you are one of our Radiate champions, you can go and see Avril up the back here. She's got a little pack for you to do some colouring in and uh, bits and pieces. So um, you can go and see Avril. I'm not sure whether you saw the sunrise this morning, but it was imbued with the glory of a new day. And my prayer is, let it be so among us. So, Lord, I ask that the hues and the saturation of the colours of your love would rise over us this morning and light up the new day and the days ahead for us and your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to be with you on Easter Sunday. My name's Dave, if I haven't met you, and I've got the privilege to pastor this community alongside a wonderful team of people who uh, love Jesus and love you and love our world. And so to be able to preach this morning from uh, the Word is um, always a pleasure, Uh, but particularly on Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and all that that means for us. I'm going to be preaching out of John chapter 20 and 21 this morning. So if you've got your Bible, um, you can turn there. I'm going to be kind of paraphrasing as we go. It will be on the screen and um, we'll be stopping along the way uh, to notice some wonderful things uh, that God would have for us this morning. So John chapter 20 verse 1 starts with this, now on the first day of the week. And I noticed that I've got a bit of a habit recently of not being able to get past the first five or six words in a text. But John wants us to get something here because it's not actually the first time that he reminds us of what day that it is. I've noticed that there is something very Genesis-y about John's gospel. And for the last five or six weeks, As a church community, we've been parked up in John's gospel. There's something very Genesis-like about how he writes. He starts his gospel with, in the beginning, which from the outset is a clear, resounding echo of Genesis chapter 1. He goes on to point out that Jesus was there at the beginning and nothing was made Uh, without him being there. In fact, everything that was made was made by him and through him. John talks in those early chapters of light overcoming darkness, just as it did in creation. He talks about the arrival of a man uh, named John the Baptist, which echoes the arrival of the arrival of man in Genesis, Adam. It has become apparent to me as we've been studying John that John was out to write a new creation story. I mean, his new creation story finds its climax um, in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus on the sixth day of the week, as in Good Friday that we just celebrated. Jesus was executed on the cross, and his very last word, tetelestai. It is 
finished. And this is a reverberating echo of Genesis chapter 2, that God had finished all the work he needed to do to create the world, and he stopped on day 6, and he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. And then on the seventh day, Easter Saturday, yesterday, Jesus rested in the tomb. Much like God resting on the seventh day after all the work he'd put in to creating the world. And so here is John at the other end in chapter 20 verse 1 on the first day of the week, as in that is the eighth day, John is telling us that this moment, the moment of Jesus' resurrection, is the beginning, the launch of a new creation. That is, Jesus himself is the beginning of the new creation as his body had descended from death, passed from life, through death, through the grave, and came out the other side into new, unending, and incorruptible life. Today is the moment that we rejoice that we have hope in Jesus. As we put our faith in him and what he did for us on the cross, so too we pass from death to life into new and everlasting and incorruptible life as new creations in God's new creation. The death and resurrection of Jesus was by no means a story to be parked up in the pages of history, but his resurrection is an invitation into the entirely new thing that he is doing through the world in Jesus that you and I today sitting here get to find ourselves in. And so this Sunday is a day of new beginnings, an invitation for you to find life in Jesus, to put away the old way of doing things and become renewed in the risen Christ. The living presence of God is among us, inviting you and I to join in his mission of new creation, of seeing the renewal of all things that he has been setting out to do since the beginning of time. And so for the short time that I have to share this morning, I want to look at some of the encounters that Jesus had with people after he left the grave and how what happened in these moments started a revolution, a revolution that gives shape as we live our lives as new creations in the unfolding story of God in this world. So here we are, John 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary goes to the tomb and she notices that the stone has been rolled away. And what only I can assume she would have been in a frenzy of emotion as she suspected that somebody had stolen her saviour's body. She ran to Simon and John and she said, quick, come now, the tomb is empty and I don't know where they've put him. So Peter and John, they hot-footed it to the tomb. John outran Peter. John, arriving first, peered into the tomb and noticed that Jesus' clothes were resting where he had been lying. And then Peter finally caught up, huffing and puffing. He doesn't hesitate. He goes straight in and he too sees the clothes on the bed where Jesus had been laying in the tomb. And seeing what he saw, 
John decided that he was going to run in and have a look as well. We don't have much commentary on the conversation. All we know from this encounter was in that moment they believed. And so they didn't think much of it, not understanding what was actually going on. They went home for a cup of tea and to read the paper. Verse 11, however, Mary stayed. Mary was weeping outside the tomb. She mustered up the courage to look inside. A moment of sheer anguish as she was coming to grips with the fact that it appeared to be someone had stolen her saviour. However, she looks in and she sees two angels sitting where Jesus had laid. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? I think in that moment, Mary could have imagined herself knocking them out right there and then. What do you mean, why am I crying? They've taken away all I've ever hoped for. I assume in frustration and even anger, she turns away from them. And like that real awkward moment in the supermarket, you turn abruptly and there is someone standing there all up in your space. Jesus is standing there. He says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? She says, Oh, don't you start too. A couple of angelic upstarts in there, they just ask me the same question. What am I mean? Why am I weeping? Supposing him to be the gardener, she sized him up. Hey, buddy, what do you think you're doing? Where have you put my saviour? She was ready to give it to him and winding up, gloved up, ready to go. What have you done with my Jesus? He looks at her and he says, Mary. All of a sudden, her eyes go as wide as dinner plates in awe and shock. And she says, Rabboni, which means teacher which is not the highest confession, but in the middle of this moment, it speaks to the restoration of a relationship. See, in this new creation that Jesus launched in his resurrection, there is a revolution of friendship with God. Mary was so caught up in finding the facts about him, but Jesus was intent on finding her into the chaos of her heightened emotional state, into her anger, into her grief, into her loss. Jesus simply spoke her name. I mean, it's so easy to find ourselves in the frenzy of uncertainty and in the quest to answer all of life's questions. God is far less interested in us finding out all the facts about him and far more interested in the friendship he wants us to have with him. And so into the chaos of your life right now, I want to say, firstly, you're not alone. I think we're all in some kind of chaotic boat in one way or another. Secondly, Jesus knows your name and he sees your situation. You are not just a face in the crowd to him. You are a friend of the risen king. Jesus is here speaking your name. Denny, Nicole, Chrissy, Jeff, Trish, 
Jesus is here this morning, the risen king. You are not just a face in the crowd of the people gathered for church on a Sunday morning. And in the resurrection, there was a revolution of friendship that God began. What Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 15, he says to you today, no longer do I call you servants. For servants do not know what their masters are saying or doing, but I call you friends. This is new creation living, that Jesus shares everything of the riches of the Father's house because we are known to him by name. In the resurrection, there is a revolution of friendship with God. Verse 18. So Mary, after Jesus having this encounter, speaking her name, she rushes off to find the disciples and she announces to them, I have seen the Lord. Now the fact that Jesus chose a woman that he revealed himself to for the very first time, and not only that, but in choosing a woman to be the first evangelist to announce the good news of the risen king tells me that the resurrection began a revolution of equality. See, it wasn't the movements of the 1960s that began the movement of women's rights. It was in the resurrection of Jesus that that began. Albeit that the world, church included, had and still does have uh, a hard time coming to grips with this, but my hope and my prayer is that we continue to champion each other as, as equals under Jesus and what he's doing in the world. What we saw in his life, we saw it in his death, and now we see it in his resurrection. In God's new world, your gender is no determining factor in the value and worth you have, nor does it have any part to play or sway in how you serve him in your life. Jesus began a revolution of equality, male, female, slave or free, none of it counts diddly squat in God's kingdom. Verse 19, that evening on the first day, here is John again reminding us which day it is, the eighth day, the beginning of God's new creation. John is saying to us, pay attention, here's the new creation. And the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now, being an ally of Jesus at this point was particularly fraught. Not only were they guilty by association of Jesus while he was alive, but now they would also be prime suspects in the case of the empty tomb. So locked away in fear for their lives, no doubt in heated discussion, uh, probably arguments, probably big wonderings of how did we end up here, where actually is Jesus, what is going on, there would have been a frenetic mood of fear among them. Huge amounts of fear for their lives, for their futures, for the families that they had left to follow this Jesus who is now gone missing. Fear would have dominated their story. But like a waft of fresh bread baking, Jesus does the reverse Houdini and appears in their midst and he says to them, peace be with you. And as quick as a switch, their fear gave way to joy. Jesus showed them the scars in his hand. 
he said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. See, through the resurrection, in the launching of God's new way for the world, he began a revolution of joy over fear. And for every reason that we have for fear in this world, and yes, there are many, we have one reason that silences them all. The resurrected king, the living presence of Jesus, is among us. And the scars that still remain on his hands to this day and in his side are a reminder that we can be glad when it's gloomy, we can have faith when we're fearful, and that we can be joyful when it feels like there is nothing on this earth to be glad for. Through the resurrection, he began a revolution of joy over fear. The very fact that he's in the room of the moment of your greatest fear is the beginning of joy, and nobody can take that from you. We can, with confidence, give the bird to the devil because he can take our things, but he can never take our joy. The resurrection launched a revolution of joy. And so, friends, may the way that we welcome one another, may the way that we gather together in church, may the way that we gather in our homes, the way that we work, the way that we play, the way that we serve one another, the way that we give, may we do so out of a reflection of the joy that we have because Jesus is in the room. Verse 24, Thomas He wasn't there for this particular uh, Jesus sliding through the walls trick, Uh, but he heard about all that happened, and he, like most of us, I'd be guessing, said to the others, no way, you blokes are having me on. Stop pulling my leg and give it to me straight. That would have been my conversation. We are, they said. I'm telling you the truth. We have seen the Lord. He says to them, you blokes need to lay off the communion juice. You're all delusional. I won't believe a thing until I see the mark of the nails. And I won't believe you until I even get to put my finger in the holes where they stabbed him. And I'm not going to believe you until even that hole in his side where the spear went in and the blood and water came out, until I can even stick my hand inside that hole. I'm not going to believe. All the boys are thinking, geez, Tom, that's a bit rich. We're eating. Can you save it for another time? Anyway, eight days later, Jesus again, ignoring the conventional rules of entry into a room, materialized among them again. The other boys in this moment, they knew what was going on. They had their phones out filming, ready to get Thomas's reaction for their Instagram stories. Jesus arrives and says again, peace be with you. And he says, hey, Thomas, while I'm here, I've got a few things that I'd like to show you. And reaching out his hands and just lifting his his shirt, he says, hey, Thomas, I want you to come and touch these scars of mine. Thomas reaches out his hand, and as, as he does, he lays his finger in that wound that was given for him. Jesus just says to him, Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. He says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? 
Blessed are those who have seen and yet have believed. See, we live in a really noisy world. There are so many voices, so many opinions, so many platforms. Every day we are bombarded with information, with new ideas, with people's rants and their endless posts. In fact, every person in their pocket doesn't just have a smartphone but has a megaphone that can be used to shout their version of the truth to the world. It's hard to know what to believe at times. As a culture, we've become more cynical, more skeptical, more guarded than ever before. I mean, on one hand, it's a good thing. It protects us from a lot of the boneheaded garbage that gets spewed across our TV screens and our news feeds. On the other hand, though, the need for proof has become more and more demanded to trust the validity of someone's claims. Finding truth and having faith isn't easy in this cultural conundrum. In the kingdom of God, answers and proof are noble pursuits, but faith is the factor that satisfies the Father. Romans 5, 1-2 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. See, we aren't just justified or made right by having all of the evidence laid neatly out before us, nor do we stand in his grace because we have all of the answers. It is by faith in the unseen God that we have peace and are able to stand in his grace. I mean, who was it that got healed by Jesus before his death? Those who had all the answers? Those whose lives were perfect? The people for whom all the ducks were in a row? No. The people who saw God, who experienced God, were those who just had a skerrick, a mustard seed type size of faith. The grace of God, though, is that there is evidence all around us. It might not be scars, but it's in every bursting sunrise, in every colourful cloud at sunset, in every smile of a child, in every act of generosity. He is in our music, he is in our art, in our stories, he is in every tasty meal and every sip of fine Shiraz. It is faith and not by facts that you'll see him there. And when you do, you'll never look back. It is by faith. It is by faith. The resurrection began a revolution of faith. John chapter 21 records another post-grave moment that looks and smells like the, the new kind of world that Jesus was launching in his new creation campaign. I mean, the disciples in this moment, they deemed the coast to be clear from the locked room that they were in. And they decided that they would head back to Galilee. The threat of the Jews had passed and they could return to life as usual. And seven of the disciples were all together back by the sea. And Peter pipes up and says, righto, I'm going fishing. And all of the others decided there was no sport on TV or nothing else doing, so they're going to go with him. So they fished all night and they caught diddly squat. But as day was breaking, they looked and they saw the figure of a man standing 
on the shore. And he called out to them, you guys caught anything? No, mate, just drowning prawns out here. That's lingo when you're fishing. If you're catching nothing, you just, you know, people go past you. Catching anything? No, we're just drowning prawns. Uh, tip for young players at home. So, um, <laughs> says, hey, um, no, well, um, not catching anything. Just, just chuck it out the other side. Just pull out your net and just chuck it over the other side. And being that there's nothing more desperate than a fisherman with an empty esky on the way back to the boat ramp, they took a chance on this guy. Surely enough, their nets were so full that they were unable to haul it in. Peter was a little bit slow on the uptake, but John was all over it like honey, hot honey on a biscuit. It is the Lord, he declared. Peter couldn't contain himself and launched himself into the water and swam like a fish all the way until he met this man. In God's new creation campaign, the revolution begun by the resurrection of Jesus. He began a revolution that takes us from fruitlessness to fruitfulness. When we place our faith in Jesus, when we're obedient to his directives in our lives, like these guys were, Jesus takes our everyday activities and uses them for his kingdom and his glory. In the revolution of fruitfulness, when we give our yes to Jesus, it delights him to fill our nets. We may not be disciples who fish for a living, but among us are followers of Jesus who are nurses who nurse, who are builders who build. Among us, there are followers of Jesus who are teachers who teach. There are salespeople who sell things. There are businessmen and businesswomen who do businessy things. In God's new creation, in the revolution sparked by the resurrection, the line between the secular and the sacred are broken down. Wherever you are is holy ground, and whatever it is you do, God can and will use it to bring about renewal and healing in the world. It is not just for the work of the preachers or the pastors or the priests of the world to be about the mission of God. But you, every single one of you, in the places you go, the places you work, the places you have fun, in the communities that you gather in here and beyond, to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. And Jesus didn't just ask the guys you know, to go and buy a, a bigger boat or to go and fish in another sea. It wasn't big change that he was looking for. He simply said to them, chuck it on the other side. Now, Jesus has a perspective on your life and sees what we cannot see. I mean, sometimes he leads us to really big, hairy, scary, audacious change. But quite often, the move from fruitlessness to fruitfulness is through simple obedience in the small things. Just chuck it on the other side. I mean, what small thing is Jesus asking you to do differently or see differently? God's passion is redeeming the everyday activity of your life, whether you're in fishing or in finance, and use it to build his kingdom. The resurrection kick-started a revolution of fruitfulness that you and I are called to be a part of. And once they hauled the, the net to the beach, Jesus cooked them breakfast. I mean, the humanity of Jesus is still so real in this moment. 
He sat around the sand and watching the waves come and go and with a group of his favorite people. I mean, the stories that I assume were shared over that fish and bread breakfast would have been rich. And we'll come back to this moment shortly, but I love how Jesus in his resurrection started a revolution of community. The gathering is people to share life and food and story. There's this last encounter, John chapter 21, verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus called Simon Peter down to the water's edge just to have a conversation. He says, Simon, son of, son of John, mate, do you love me? Yeah, yeah, Jesus, you know, you know, you know that I, I love you. He says, well, I want you to um, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus looks him in the eye and says, Simon, do you love me? Simon, wondering if Alzheimer's was setting in, said, yes, Lord. You know, you know. You, I just told you, you know that I love you. Jesus says to him, tend my sheep. A third time, Simon, do you love me? This time, kicking the water and having a bit of a spat. What do you mean, Jesus, do I love you? I have just told you once. I have told you twice. I will tell you for a third time, yes, I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep and follow me. I mean, why was Simon so upset at Jesus' repetitive inquiry? I think that in that moment he saw the pattern and became acutely aware that Jesus knew all about the three times that Peter denied him. His mind cast back. Peter's mind cast back to the moments where Jesus was standing there being questioned by the governors and the officials. And there was Peter, off lurking in the shadows for fear of being seen until a servant girl says to him, do you know this guy, Jesus? No, not me. Never seen the guy. And again, happened again. And we read that somewhere Peter was just warming himself, sitting by the fire and Jesus is in the very last moments of his life, someone he'd shared so much life with. Another servant girl comes up and says, do you know what's going on here? Do you know this guy? Nah, not, not me, never, never seen him in my life. Simon's betrayal of the Lord as he stood on the beach with him in that moment would have been in vivid detail. I can only imagine that the shame of Peter's denial was overwhelming him, that his stomach was, was turning with the guilt of how he had treated his Lord in his hour of greatest need. I mean, Jesus could have leveraged the internal wrestle within Peter and berated him. Why on earth did you do that, Simon? Why would you let me down like that? In my moment of greatest need, you denied that you even knew me. You are a hypocrite and a liar, Simon. Until you say sorry and say the sinner's prayer, you can stay here right on this beach alone. Now, it wasn't even that Jesus saw past Simon's mistakes. It was these mistakes were still in the grave. Jesus died for Simon's stuff and he died for your stuff 
and he didn't bring it out with him. Because of the cross, Jesus never looks to your past, but always to your potential. So what was Simon's place of greatest internal pain was for Jesus the platform for Simon's renewed purpose. Jesus in this moment held up a mirror to his mistakes, not to judge him, but to remind him of the sufficiency of the cross because true love keeps no record of wrong. So rather than berate him, Jesus reinstated him. And on the rock, the confession of Peter, the one who denied, but yet the one who was called again, on that rock, Jesus has been building his church ever since. And we are here to tell the tale because the resurrection of Jesus began a revolution of purpose and not a religion based on shame. I'm going to invite the band to come up. Let's all stand together. So these are the days of the new creation in which we are called to arise. Days in which we are called to partner with the Lord in seeing the revolution launched by his resurrection. To see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We are called to be a people and a community revolutionized because of the resurrection who promote friendship with God as a way of life. We are called to be people who place equal value on all of humanity. We are called to be joyful even in the midst of hardship. We are called to hold fast to faith even when we haven't got all of the answers. We are called to let go of fruitless living and work to see the fruit of God's new world emerge in every sphere of our lives. We are called to find our place in the covenant community of God's people. We are called to be people who don't allow their shame to defeat them, but allow their calling to direct them. This is what living in God's new creation looks like. For the old way of things has passed away. Behold, I am doing a new thing. There is a new day. And this kind of life is possible for all of us because the tomb is empty. Jesus is the new creation. He is here working toward and for the new creation. And He is always and continually transforming my heart. And He is transforming your heart because the tomb is empty to be people who are newly created each and every day as we gather in communities, as we read the Word of God, as we allow the Holy Spirit to direct our lives, as we become people who are more generous and more self-giving toward others, people who live out a life that promotes all of these things. We are taking part in the new creation story. God is in the business of redeeming and renewing all things, you and I included. And that work is for now and it is for eternity. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. 
We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.